Um, what we're doing is going through a, a timeline of chronology of the life, or rather the times in the life, of Jesus and taking a look at his ministry. And what we're doing here is not just looking at his life, but also looking at the time period. Because I think a lot of times we'll read through the Bible, we'll read through the New Testament, uh, but we may not get into the depths of what was going on historically at the time period and some of the nuances of, of the stories on the events that took place. Um, so, you know, we've been on this journey, and now uh, uh, essentially what we're doing is going into really uh, Jesus' beginning of his ministry. Uh, last week was the call of the disciples. week before that, Alan did an awesome job talking about the temptation, the baptism of, of, of Jesus. Um, and now we're going to see what is he doing when he first goes into ministry. And now, of course, we have the wedding feast of Cana, which I've taught on before. So I wanted to actually skip over that. I felt the Lord was just leading me in, in, into the next event, which just ushered in a whole bunch of kind of questions for me. And so today, I hope you have your Bibles because we're going we're gonna to read a, little, a couple, a little longer sections of Scripture than what we're somewhat accustomed to in here. But we have to, to really understand the events that are taking place. Amen? So if you want to open up to John chapter 2, as well, we'll spend some of our time today. Uh, and today's message is uh, kind of funny in its title. Jesus, Caiaphas, and the Mafia. Okay? So, let's read John chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 13. It says, Now the Passover of the Jewish people was at hand, and Yeshua, Jesus, went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. <clears throat> then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jewish people said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples rem remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Okay? So, what we have here is the, you know, the famous cleansing of the temple. Right? You guys know that story? Yep. Right? So, you know, I'm, I'm going to the Lord with this. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I started off a little confused. I was like, all right. So we have right here, Jesus in the beginning of his public ministry, and John is going into the temple and he's cleansing it. Uh, and it's a little confusing because what we have here in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three other Gospels, they place this event happening days before his trial. So John places it right at the beginning. Matthew, Mark, and Luke place it right at the end. Both events take place just days before Passover. So, you know, I looked up, looked up and read all these commentaries and, and, and most like born-again, spirit-filled, and even like dry theologians are saying it's, it's, it's most likely actually two separate events. It's like, what? I never heard of that before. It's like, oh, he, he cleanses the temple once. 
But all the theologians, all the commentaries are saying, no, they're actually most likely twice. And if you have questions if you, of why it was twice, we can say that for another time. You can talk to me. I can explain it to you a little bit. But for now, let's just, let's just assume that what they're saying is correct, that John is, is chronicling the first time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are chronicling the last one. Two separate events that take place. Uh, and so I started thinking, like, well, why is this, Lord? Why is it that you have the cleansing of the temple during the time of Passover at the very beginning of your public ministry, and then you also have the cleansing of the temple at the very end of your public ministry? What's going on, Lord? And both times are happening during Passover. Huh. So, you know, I was looking at this, studying it, and receiving just things from the Holy Spirit. Um, and I felt the Lord was just saying here uh, is that there's a lot of importance of the cleansing of the temple, of course. But if we take a look at the events, what we see here is it is so important what he is doing that it's actually going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back at the end of his ministry. This is the event that ticks off the priestly class so much that it's after this event that they're like, all right, that's it. It's time to get this guy. So here is a rabbi that's going around. He's, he's, I mean, he's doing things like raising the dead. He's doing things about like teaching about the kingdom of heaven now. He, he's talking about he being the son of God. He's doing all of this like unbelievable stuff. And the priestly class is like, all right, whatever. Who is this guy? But once he comes in for a second time to cleanse the temple of all the money, they're like, that's it. We got to go after this guy. Enough is enough. Okay? So let's see the response of what happens when enough is enough. John chapter 11, verse 49 says this. And one of them, one of the priests, Caiaphas, being high priest. Sorry, I just like missed where I was. Maybe time for stronger glasses. One of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then, then, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. So then, therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the people. So what we have here is Caiaphas is done, right? We have to go after this guy. He actually even prophetically announces uh, that, okay, one man shall die instead of a whole nation. What Caiaphas is, he's prophetically talking about the Messiah without even knowing, but what he's really getting at here is, all right, Jesus uh, is setting himself up as this uh, rebel leader. If the Romans are too nervous about this, they're going to come in, they're going to crank down, and they're going to kill a whole bunch of Jewish people. So let's just put this guy to death so that everyone else is safe. That's pretty much what he's saying there, because he's afraid of the Romans. But there's more going on here uh, about this cleansing of the temple and the high priest Caiaphas. And so what I would like to do is so you can kind of get a better understanding of the time of, of, of Jesus. We want to switch over uh, to the uh, video screen. And if we can unmute the computer channel. And we're going to watch a quick little video uh, explaining who Caiaphas was.
the high priest made his position clear to the religious authorities. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. John 11, 47 through 50. Protecting his own power and preserving public order were now his highest priorities. And Caiaphas knew that Jesus must die. Sorry for that last part, forgot about that. Yeah, you can kill it, sorry. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty interesting. So an ossuary box is essentially what they would do in ancient times. Essentially to, to, to save some, some space, uh, you and your family, after your bodies were decomposed, you would take the bones and, and put it inside of a box, okay? Inside of a, a tomb. And so this is the family Caiaphas's box. Inside of that box, are bones that are tested DNA-wise about 60 years of age. Um, what we also find out here is that inside of the tomb itself, there were two nails that were found inside there. Uh, archaeologists have said that the two nails are the nails that would be used for crucifix. So they don't really know what's going on. Why are these two nails in there? Is this Caiaphas literally taking the nails of Jesus? And bringing it in, saying, I want this as a relic of the most important thing I've done during 
my life. Some people are saying it may be that he had a turn of heart and he's repenting and weeping and he wants the, the nails because maybe he came to faith. There's all this kind of stuff. A lot of it is, is, is speculation, but I just want you to know that he did find that. Uh, and it's very, very interesting archaeologically. But let, let's, let's try to put the pieces together for spiritual matters. Who is this guy, Caiaphas? Well, one, he is the high priest from the tribe of Levi, right? He is called to be the high priest of Israel. He has a palace right in Jerusalem, a very nice one. He is relatively wealthy, or any priest would be relatively wealthy. We're going to find out that Caiaphas is very wealthy. Um, his job is to give off offering, sacrifices, essentially worship to God for the people. And he is going to get, well, obviously pretty upset. Now, why is he getting so upset? And why is he getting so upset that he's going to issue the decree for Jesus' death and trial? Well, one thing here is, here is Jesus coming into the temple, cleansing it, and, and is essentially saying throughout his entire public ministry, that he alone is the one who's able to provide a sacrifice. So here he, he comes in. He's saying that he himself will destroy the temple. He will raise it up three days later. And that he alone is the priest that is to give sacrifice for the people. What does that say to Caiaphas? You are out of a... You're out of a job, man. If enough people buy into this message, you're saying you're going to destroy this temple, the place which is the most holiest thing in Judaism, and I am like the dude. I am the Don. I mean, he is the head of Jewish religiosity at the time. He is the head control over the sacrificial system and the actions of the temple. And here is this guy, this podunk rabbi from the Galilee coming in saying that I am not fit. And no one is fit to provide sacrifice except for Yeshua, Ben Yosef, Jesus, the son of, of, of Joseph. Like, this is crazy. So that's going to stir something inside of him right away. Secondly, we, we have this notion, as you heard in the video, about the Sadducees being all concerned with political power. And how important it is to, to, to have allegiance with Rome. And what does Jesus teach? Ah, you know, my allegiance is not to an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is of heaven. And people are following this way. All of this uh, really speaks why Caiaphas is getting upset. And eventually what we hear later in the scriptures is he actually says at the trial, listen to this man, he is blaspheming God. Those are the people at the trial. Listen to Jesus, he just said that he is the son of God. He is blaspheming God, which is punishable by death. But here's the thing. In the first century, there's a lot of people running around. There's a lot of people that are, that are inciting rebellion and revolt against the Roman Empire. There were these like pocket messiahs around every corner who were saying these crazy things and doing all these crazy things. So why is it that Jesus of all people, Caiaphas, wants to single out? I mean, he's got 12 close disciples, 120 more disciples, and thousands of people are following him, but you've got millions of people that live in Israel. He isn't like this complete major threat. And so what I really felt was being said here is what really was going on here, it is about money. It's about the mafia. It's about a priestly mafia control over money in the temple. Now, you may not believe me, but maybe you believe other scholars. 
It says here that all toiled a one-day stay in Jerusalem during one of the three major festivals, which Jewish people had to go to, Passover being one of them, could cost between $3,000 and $4,000 in contemporary value. And Jews were required to attend at least one of them each year. Josephus, the Jewish historian, estimated that up to 2.25 million people visited Jerusalem during Passover, which would generate the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars. The money changers opened their stalls in the county towns a month before the feast and then moved them to the temple by the time of the first arrivals. While all this may appear immoral, none of it was illegal. Even scripture was illegal. They were businessmen operating within the law, but it took Jesus and a few radical rabbis later on uh, to point out that the law itself was unjust. What we have here is what I'm trying to get to is Caiaphas is the head of a temple tax system that generates hundreds of millions of dollars within days. And now Jesus is coming in and saying, you've made my house a den of thieves. Zeal for my house is eating me up. What are you doing making the Lord's house all about money? And why are you funneling it all through the hierarchy to the head priest? Now, when a rabbi starts talking like that, He's going after the money and the control of the priestly class. And that's where we get some problems. So what is Jesus really saying about all of this? There's, there's two main points. First, he makes a personal dig at Caiaphas and the establishment. You have a better understanding of this in Luke chapter 16, where we're going to read a little longer portion. But when I found this out, I was like, oh, this finally makes sense. This weird parable and finally makes sense in the scriptures. This is Jesus making a dig at Caiaphas during his public ministry personally. Most likely. This is Luke chapter 16 verse 19. This is known as the rich man and Lazarus. You guys remember that parable? Alright, so let's begin. A little, a little longer. If you have a Bible you want to take it out, but like, I think it's going to be really edifying because so many times, right? Who are these people in this story? No one really understands. So here we are. Here's the parable. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame, in the flames of hell. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf, a great chasm or chasm between us, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. 
Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one even risen from the dead. So what we have here is a rich man. There's a beggar by the name of Lazarus. Rich man has all this money, all this power. Lazarus has nothing. They both die. Now it's eternity. The rich man is sitting in the flames of Hades, essentially. Lazarus, who is a poor man, is, is in Abraham's bosom, which is an allegory, essentially, of heaven. Essentially. It's too complicated for now. Um, and there is a chasm. There's a gulf between the two. Lazarus can't get to the rich man. Rich man can't get to Lazarus. He's like, but can, can you just have Lazarus, the beggar, help me and give me some water? And Abraham says, no, sorry, you can't because there's a divide, right? Because of sin. You had great things when you were alive, but now you're in hell. Fine. If I can't, can you at least send someone to my brothers, my five brothers who are alive, and tell them what they're doing is wrong? Greed, money, oppressing the poor. So you read this, and you're like, I don't get, I've always been like, what's really going on here? What we have here, again, through my studies, I'm finding this. There are some commonalities. Lazarus, we know, I'm sorry, the rich man in this story was a rich man. Caiaphas was a rich man. Interesting enough, in the story, the wealthy man that is in Hades is wearing purple. Why purple? Well, purple is the linen of the priests. The priests wore purple. Right. The rich man in his life oppressed the poor. Caiaphas is oppressing the poor by running this extremely expensive trip. Hey, you want to give up sacrifices unto the Lord during, in, in, in Jerusalem during Yom Kippur or uh, during Passover? It's going to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars per person. Actually, Josephus, the historian from that time period, said that there were women who were actually aborting babies. So they would not have to pay the temple tax for them. That's how this is around the neck of people. Hundreds of millions of dollars being generated. Josephus, the historian, says of Caiaphas, interesting enough, he has five brothers. What do we have here? I, I really do believe by the Spirit of God and through studying that what Jesus is saying here he is pointing out, and anyone who's at the time knows Caiaphas, knows the, they know what's going on. They know that Caiaphas has five very powerful brothers. They're like the Don. They, they are the gang. They're like this mafia that's controlling worship. Controlling the sacrificial system. Controlling sin or your cleansing of sin because of sacrifice. They're, they're using religion as a way of making this money. And so what is Yeshua, what is Jesus saying to Caiaphas? Your control of the sacrificial system, you as a high priest, you are not holy, you are not righteous, you are not worthy enough to provide the sacrifice that only I can. He's calling down the priestly system. That's what he's doing. What he is saying to the people is even the high priest the one who is called to provide a sacrifice for the nation of Israel, according to the word of God, is not righteous. He's not righteous. 
And what does Jesus say? That high priest is not righteous, but you are. Because you're a priest. You're a son. You're a daughter. Caiaphas and the priestly class is really getting nervous here. We have a rabbi that is, that is completely flipping the priestly system completely upside down. And saying that, wait, all the people can be priests before God? Woo! That is why he goes after Jesus. And he doesn't go after other rabbis. He's going after the money. He's going after the system of power. There's another piece here. The cleansing of the money changers and essentially you. In the story... Jesus, or the disciples say, oh, we've heard Jesus say, zeal for my house, when he's cleansing out the money. Uh, what we have here is largely, is Caiaphas has created a system where worship and sacrifice has somewhat become convenient. Now, yes, it costs a lot of money, but now you get to come, you get to just turn in some money. Hey, you guys do it for me. I'm not getting my hands dirty and sacrifice. I'm not raising up the lamb. I'm not having my little kids grow up with that lamb and calling it a name and walking it down from the northern part of Israel and bringing it down to Jerusalem. You know what? We're just going to show up. We're going to give our money. We're going to walk away. And you guys can provide a sacrifice for me. And the Lord is like, how dare you be dependent upon leadership whether good or bad, to be in charge of bringing a sacrifice and incense. What we have here is the act of biblical worship at the time is controlled by a priestly leadership. They're the ones that do it for you. And I believe the Lord is saying to us in this scripture here is that many of us need a pastor, need a worship leader, need a church to bring us into worship. That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is the cleansing of the temple. This is the cleansing of the priestly class. Jesus is saying, stop looking to Mario. Stop looking to Dave. Stop looking to Bethel. Stop looking to United Pursuit Band. Stop looking to all these things to usher you into worship. My house is causing me to press in with zeal that the priest would rise up. And don't allow the Caiaphases of the age to run the show. I'm not saying all these big ministries are, have a spirit of Caiaphas. What I'm saying is you, as a follower of these big people, put the spirit of Caiaphas on them. You do it. I'm going to buy your album. I'm going to listen to it. It's going to be done. No, go in your kitchen and go pray in tongues and worship and call down the glory cloud. Because you're a priest. You are a priest. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what he's getting at, man. And so we have some proof text of this, of course. First Peter, chapter 2. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus the Messiah. Down in verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Who once were not a people but are now the people of God. Who have not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. We no longer have this temple, right? Jesus said he's going to tear it down and raise it back up again. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
You and I are priests. There's one high priest, Jesus, who makes petition for us. But we are a priesthood. And priests have two jobs. Minister to God and minister to the people. You're living stones now. Caiaphases aren't needed. And we need to take that seriously. Another way in which this relates to us uh, is really a, a power phrase of what was being said in the video. Caiaphas protected his own power and made preserving his control and image his highest priority. <laughs> say this again. Caiaphas protected his own power and made preserving his own control and image his highest priority. I believe that in the big C church today, there are a lot of Caiaphases. They're about preserving their own control their own self-image before the people. Keeping their power. How does Caiaphas do that? By killing the ministry of Jesus. Come on. Let that sink in for a second. If you have control, if you have self-image issues and ego, you are symbolically, spiritually, killing the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your place, in your church, in your house, in your life, inside your own temple. If you have issues of control, if you have issues of image, you are doing the same thing that Caiaphas was doing. You're killing the ministry of Jesus in your life. Can I get an amen or something? Come on. All right, cool. I'm just like these eyes, like, oh boy. Hmm. How do we do this? Control. My way, right? My way. It could be me at, at, here at church. It could be me at, at home with, with my wife and kids. Like, we're going to do it my way. This is the way it is, right? Happens often. It's the German in me. You're allowed to laugh. Okay. Do you allow the Holy Spirit to really direct your life? In all things, right? Those that are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Or do you have control in your life? It's very subtle. It's very easy for it to happen. Where human beings, we respond sometimes out of anxiety. And the best way, the, the, the most, you know, what you do when you're anxious, right, is try to control the environment. And what is controlling the environment? Controlling is essentially being like gods. You're setting up a false image. You're, you're being a god unto yourself. I'm going to control the scenario. Not allow God to control the scenario. It, but it happens very subtle. Uh, the other part of, of Caiaphas, of course, is the self-image problem. Are you one of these people who always have to portray that you have it all together? You know the person that has an answer for everything? Even though it's like really bad advice. Do you always have to present yourself in a certain way so that the people don't really see who you really are? Good. Do you wear a mask? Father's Day, we were taught, teaching on the masks that men wear. Do you put on a mask to hide before people? And even sometimes to hide before God. This is the spirit of Caiaphas. We need to get to a place where you can take your mask off before people and before God and be okay with who you are. Because when you take your mask off, 
you can only be okay with what people see, and you can only be okay with what God sees, if you are okay and understand the revelation that he has called you a son, a daughter, a priest, my beloved, then you don't have to put masks on and pretend that you are something that you're not or make yourself always look a certain way physically or spiritually or emotionally. When you're okay with yourself before God because of the blood, you can take the masks off. It doesn't matter what you are saying about this church or this ministry or me able to preach or not able to preach or this, that, or the other thing or how you interact as a father, a mother, a friend. If you're okay with what's underneath the mask. And you're okay with what's underneath the mask if you understand the revelation of his love that you are a son or daughter of beloved and a priest. Um, this is why hell is in fact enraged with all of it. This is why hell is enraged, both now when we're talking. I think that's why we had some technical difficulties today with worship. I think it's also why hell is enraged that, come on, after all of the events that Jesus does, all the crazy things he does, he goes into the temple courts, not even in the Holy of Holies, but outside the temple courts, he throws over a couple of tables, says a couple of things, and now the priests are like, so mad. It's because of the spirit of hell. This is why hell is enraged. Satan from the beginning has been trying to protect his self-image and his ego. He tries to accomplish this by trying to convince you that you are not a son. That you are not a priest. And that you are not a beloved. Amen. Caiaphas and the priestly class, what are they saying? Ah, eh, you're kind of sons and daughters by name only because you're of the seed of Israel. But you're not a priest. To be a priest, you've got to be of the tribe of Levi. And I, Caiaphas, I am not just any priest. I am the high priest. And, uh, hey, you're not really beloved. Your sacrifices are really not worthy until I seal the deal, until I cleanse myself and I provide the sacrifice for you. You guys are not good enough. You need me. It's institutions of men, right? If we have the worship team come on down, that'd be great. So this is why hell is enraged, because Jesus is completely turning the priestly system completely upside down. He's going up against very powerful forces in these two events. The beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry, which should be significant in understanding that it must be pretty big things. Those big things being money, control, and ego. What is money? Money is obviously a tool and device that many people use to to essentially put their best foot forward, right? Look what kind of car I drive. I'm successful. What kind of clothes I wear. Look at the vacations I go on. Money is a tool for many people to put the mask on to hide their lack of self-worth. And it's a way for them to boast their ego. So money, self-image, and ego, if you don't have a pure heart, are all intricately tied. And is that what Jesus is coming up against? And he said, who cares about the money? You're a priest. Who cares about the image of what people are looking and saying about you? I have called you beloved. I have called you a priest. To give up sacrifices unto me. 
You see, Satan says that you are not worthy, but God says that you're worthy because of the blood. Satan says that your sacrifice can never measure up, and this is what Caiaphas was saying. But Jesus says, I love your worship. I love your sacrifice so much that I paid for it by my blood. I spilled my blood. I came down from heavenly places and humbled myself to give my blood to you so that you could worship me and sacrifice to me as a priest. That is how much he cherishes your Lord, I love you. Woo! You are a priest. A priest that's been purchased by the blood of Jesus. So the next time Satan gets in your head and says, ah, you're little, you know what, you had a bad morning and you chewed out your wife or your husband or you did this, that, or your thing, your praise is not worth it. Remind the powers of the age, the spirit of the age, that my praise is worth because Jesus gave his blood. He allowed himself to die. He allowed himself to spend three days in the building of the earth to know separation from the Father for the first time in his life. All for what? To get you to be able to worship him without a Caiaphas, without a Bethel, without a YouTube channel, without Dave, without Mario. That's what the blood was in part about. It's so good, right? We have to start learning that we are more than saved from something, but saved into something. You're saved from hell's fire, but you're saved into a promise that you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a beloved. You are a priest that gets to minister to God and minister to people. we got to get it inside of us and go up against the spirit of Caiaphas. You're worthy. So what do you do? All right, Dave, you're like, all right, you gave this like message, we worship today. What do you do with all this? It's, it's, it's really receive. Receive freely the revelation that you are a priest. A priest that is a son or daughter purchased by the blood of Jesus. So what do you do? You don't really do anything. You receive. Like, I mean, I guess you have to do something. Like, you just got to be like, I mean, you got to open up your heart, right? You have to let go of the control and let go of the image. And you have to say, Lord, I want to receive this understanding that I am a priest. And not just any priest, but a son or daughter. And so what is a priest, right? I mean, we're going to make it real simple. What is a priest? A priest is someone who ministers to God. You're touching his heart. Like we, when we come here on Sunday, it's not about us. It's like we're here to minister to the heart of the Father. We're here to touch his heart. He bought you by his blood for this to happen. And when you do that, the only way to do that is to allow your self-image and your ego to go. This is when King David is worshiping, right? And his wife, Michal, is like, what are you doing? Dancing. You're a king. How can you dance like this before the people half naked? And he says, I have, I'm a king. I know that. But I have no image issues. I have no ego. I'm going to dance like this. I'm going to worship before the Lord even more undignified than this. Because he's worth all of that. And he's only worth all of that, or you can only receive all of that when you no longer care about the ego and the self-image. And you don't care about the control. We minister to man as well. The high priest, Jesus, provided the eternal sacrifice. And now we get to go out and tell people about that high priest. That high priest who shed his blood for you. 
Come on. Why don't we stand? Lord, it is so easy, so easy in an organized, institutional, industrialized society with such technology and such amazing things that we're able to accomplish to simply make things complicated. Your gospel is simple. Repent and call upon the name of Lord Jesus. And you can have eternal life. And you can take on the order of Melchizedek. You can take on the order of Jesus of being a righteous priest. Do you know that Jesus loves your praise just as much as a famous worship leader? Do you know that? He loves your praise and your thanksgiving and your out-of-tone key just as much as the most famous worship leader there is. He loves it. Yes. Hmm. Lord, we just pray right now against control. Whew. Whew. Control. We pray against that spirit of Caiaphas in the church, but also in your own individual walk. We pray right now that there be a release, a release of the controlling spirit. And it says, I got everything figured out. I know how to do this. Just be released from that chain and be free. Be free to receive direction of the Holy Ghost. Father, we pray right now for those people who struggle with ego, those people that struggle with image. Hmm. Let them look in a mirror and see the Spirit of God. Let them look in a mirror and see the face of Jesus. Let them know it does not matter what man says unto me, it matters what God thinks of me. And what he thinks of me is that I am his beloved. I'm his loved. I'm his cherished. He, oh, he, he, he ripped the veil in the temple for me. He tore open the heavens for me. He went down into the bill of the earth for me. <laughs> how quick, how easy Satan tries to come and steal. Satan is a liar. He lies. He steals. He destroys. Mm. Father, I pray right now that as this week goes on, that people will be stirred. That they would wake up in the morning, that they would go throughout their day with prayer, with worship on their lips. That they understand that they have been called to be a priest. Yes. That Jesus spilled his blood for you to be able to be that priest that worships him. That the Lord is looking down from heaven above and is just saying, Oh, please, little one, can you just, can you just talk with me? Can you just give me a praise? I, my heart flutters when you speak good words of me. That's how God sees you. 
So when we're tired and we don't quite feel like worshiping or we don't quite feel like praying, Lord, that we would be reminded that our Father is looking down and saying, oh, I just love it. I just love it when my little ones come to my feet. I just love it when they sit on my lap. I just love it when they praise me. I just love it when they worship me. And they don't need a Caiaphas. And they don't need a lamb. And they don't need a goat. And they don't need a bull. And they don't need a ram. All they need is Jesus. Let that be released in this place. Released in this place. Oh, how good you are. Well, hopefully with a new understanding of what it means to be a priest. Why don't we be priests? One more time together before we part from you. Yes, minister to man in our lives, but we minister to God. That's what this is about. Let's just minister to the heart of the Father. One more time together. Hopefully now with a revelation. what it means to be a priest that is also a son and also a daughter. Yes.